Good morning, church. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's word, we'll be reading from the book of James, James' letter to the church, chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. You don't have a ton of things in common with God, but there is one thing. You speak. So does he. God spoke light into existence with his words. I wonder what you could speak into existence with your words this week. I wonder what kind of love you could speak into your marriage that feels like it's in neutral. I wonder what kind of courage you could speak into the heart of a child who's hurting. I wonder what kind of peace you could speak into your broken friendship. What kind of hope you could speak into your own weary soul. I want you to know that the most powerful words you're gonna speak this week is probably not gonna be on a stage or a conference call or closing the deal with a client that you want. The most powerful words you're gonna speak is probably just with one or two people listening, maybe zero. It's totally possible that the most powerful sentence you'll say this week is a thoughtful text message that you send to a friend who's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's the apology email that you finally get the courage to send that whispered prayers through tears in the middle of a dark night. Powerful words aren't just for preachers who stand behind pulpits. They're for parents who stand next to bunk beds and speak life with their kids. For spouses who share hopes and dreams pillow talk and not criticism for teenagers who stand up to bullies stand up for the uncool kids 
Your tongue is so small, but so powerful. Your tongue is telling a story. So that, in essence, is the message that James would have for us today. What James is going to argue is that our words, yours and mine, they have incredible power. They carry, words carry weight. In some cases, words carry an amazing weight. In other words, James is going to argue that your tongue, yours and mine, we can use our tongues either to blow up a relationship or to build up a relationship. And because of that, James is going to argue this morning that our mouths set the entire trajectory, the course of our life, that our, our life will follow our words. The words that we use with others will determine the kind of life that we live, the kind of marriage we're going to have, the kind of children we're going to raise, and the kind of relationships we will have with those children when they become adults. Your words will determine the quality and kind of friends and friendships that you enjoy. They will determine how much success you will have at work, and eventually they will lead to the kind of legacy you will leave. Now, James has already said in previous chapters a few things about our mouths and how we should use them. And so before we jump into the words that Brian just read in James chapter 3 about the tongue, I want to go back and look at what James has already said about the tongue. Here's what he said in James chapter 119. He said, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And he's going to say, because man's anger does not bring about the kind of righteous life that God desires. Do you hear that? Your anger, my anger, our anger does not bring about a righteous life, at least not the kind of righteous life that God desires. And so in essence, you know what James is saying to us? He's saying, look, you talk too much. You talk too much and you don't listen enough. I want you to think about this. The first job that God gave human beings was to speak a word over his creation, over something he had made. We're told this in Genesis chapter 2. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam's job was to speak and whatever he spoke stuck. Your words stick They get stuck. They hang around. Good words hang around in life-giving ways that produce healthy relationships of appreciation and love. But carelessly spoken words wound and fester, slowly poisoning and even sometimes painfully ending our relationships. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever gotten in trouble for something you said? 
Every hand should be up. Don't make me come out there, right? Sure, all of us have. All of us know what that's like. How many of you have ever been surprised by something hurtful or hateful that just seemed to come out of nowhere? Like, where did that come from? How many of us have done that? Sure, same number, right? Because that's common to all of us. So here's why James is saying, look, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Because here's the reality. Every one of us in the room, we all yearn to be heard and to be understood. That's a universal need. But unfortunately, what can happen is that we want to be heard so much that we're willing to talk over and talk around other people and not listen to them. See, it looks like this. We get into a discussion. Things begin to get a little heated. I mean, this happens in my house. Maybe it doesn't happen in your house, but we get focused on talking a lot, like over each other, right? And so, James is pointing out, when we get angry, we quit listening. Uh, So James, let's just pick this apart a little bit. He says, dear brothers, so important here. He's reminding us that in the church, we are the family of God. We may have God as our father, but we also have one another as our brothers and sisters in Christ. God made us a family. This is why when people walk away from a church for frivolous reasons, they're not just walking out of a building, they're bailing on a family. You need to know this. So he says, dear brothers, take note of this. In other words, he's saying, look, this is really important. You should be taking notes. Are you? Because you should be taking notes. You're definitely going to want to write this down. Then he says, everyone should be quick to listen. Amazing thing. The Greek word here for everyone means everyone. Amazing, right? All of us in the room, every single one of us, quick to listen. And what he's saying is this, before you do anything else in a conversation, listen first. Listen first. Then he says, slow to speak. The idea here is, I love this, be late. He's saying, be late to speak. Be late to speak. Be slow to speak. The idea is this. The more we listen, you and I, the more that we learn from someone else before we speak. So James is really saying that asking questions is always more beneficial than stating my view. And if you're here this morning and it's important for you to be right, this is revolutionary teaching. This is, I mean, it's just incredible. Because uh, if, if you have a need to be right, you are not, or a need to be heard or express yourself, you are not going to be quick to listen. You'll be quick to speak because you're right. But you can write yourself right out of a relationship. It's so important. And then he says, finally, slow to become angry. Now, this is both a result and a decision. In other words, if you and I are are quick to listen, we're going to be far less likely to become angry, and I'll tell you why. Because curiosity keeps anger at bay. And so if you're a curious person in a conversation, you are far less likely to become angry. And in fact, the word that James uses here for anger means literally quick to boil over, like Picture boiling water and it just boils over and scalds and burns and hurts. 
And then in verse 26 of chapter 1, here's what else he says about the tongue. And then we're going to jump into James 3. He says, if anyone else consider, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Here's what he's literally saying. He's saying, if you have a relationship with Jesus and it's not making a difference in the way you talk to other people, if it's not helping you be a better communicator, a more loving communicator, a kinder communicator, your relationship with Jesus is doing you no good. It's literally what he's saying. And then, uh, so, so what James has already told us, right, in chapter 1, before we jump into chapter 3, is that if we have a relationship with Jesus, it will make a difference in the way that we talk to others. So with that in mind, let's start with chapter 3, verse 1. And I want to start with a verse that sometimes keeps me up at night, if I'm honest. And here's what it says. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, uh, I'm not 100% sure I know what this means or how this shakes out, but quite frankly, it terrifies me especially as a teacher of God's Word. So I'm going to unpack a couple of things it could mean and just talk through those. So one thing it could mean is that we'll be judged by God for our speech more strictly than the average person will be judged. So in other words, all of our words carry weight. But if you teach God's Word uh, every word you speak, just it's a little heavier. It's a little weightier. So you have to be really careful about that. Or it could mean that we will be judged more strictly by those that we teach. Um, it, or it could be all of those things, or one or the other. But as a teacher... I get this. I, I completely understand it. Uh, in fact, I would just say this, that as a teacher of God's Word, the fact that I'm judged more strictly, you know what that is by you? That's called scrutiny. And what that means is that when you hear me teach, you expect that my life is being lived in alignment with the words that I use. And so see, if you see me blow my top or, or yell at somebody, that's going to have a greater effect because I'm teach, leading you in God, God's word. And rightfully so, you would expect that my life would live that out. But here's the problem, and James calls it out right away in verse 2. In fact, he even includes himself. Here's what he says. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Now, James is including himself as a teacher, right? So here's the problem. You have an imperfect pastor who makes mistakes both in speech and in actions teaching you the Word of God. And that's a recipe for disaster, right? If we're not careful, if I'm not aware of the weight 
and the burden of that? Because the reality is you walked in here expecting me to embody what I'm going to teach to you. And I don't always do that. And I don't always do that well. And frankly, that terrifies me. It really does. And he goes on. He says, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. So he's saying, look, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody falls short. Um, But what he's literally saying to us is, look, if you meet a man or a woman and they've learned how to control their tongue, everything else in their life is going to be in order because the tongue is the hardest thing to master of all. If you meet somebody who's disciplined with their tongue, you have met an incredibly disciplined person. And in fact, what he's going to tell us next in verses 3 and 4, he's going to say this, look, your tongue can determine the entire direction of your life. Look at the two analogies he's going to use. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Then he goes on to say, or take ships as an example. Although they're so large, they're driven by strong winds, they're still steered by a very small rudder that makes the whole vessel go where the pilot wants to go. He's just saying, look, your tongue, even though it's a small part of your body, in the same way that you can take an itty-bitty bit and turn an entire huge animal with that, or the fact that you can steer a ship with something as small as a rudder means uh, that, like, look, if I observe your speech, I can tell you the direction your life is headed. That's what James is saying. He's saying, I can tell you what kind of marriage you will have, what kind of children you will raise, what kind of relationships you will enjoy, and what kind of legacy you will leave. And then he begins to talk about the power of the tongue, uh, both the harm and the help. Look what he says in verses 5 and 6. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. In other words, it's capable of inflicting great harm. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, this is extreme language, and I want to unpack it for you. So what James is saying first is he's saying, look, Sure, the tongue is a small part of your body, but it does an incredible amount of damage. And so to illustrate this, he talks about a forest fire. Now, we get this because this time of year, especially in the state of uh, California and some of the western states, we're used to reading about some fire that was left unattended in some campfire somewhere, some small spark that became responsible for uh, thousands, even millions of acres of damage. So we get that. I mean, even this week, right, we had uh, stay inside alerts because the air quality is so bad here in central Indiana. Well, why is the air quality bad? Well, because of wildfires that were just started, you know, by somebody's negligence 
that are burning, raging out of control in Canada. And ordinarily you would think, well, that's up in Canada. That's not our problem. Well, that's the destructive power of the tongue. Because what happens in Canada does become our problem, right? If it becomes um, big enough. He says, your tongue is like that. He says, the tongue is a fire. And then he says, it's not just a fire, it's like a fire from hell. The word he uses there is the word Gehenna. And he means to create a picture. Because what Gehenna was, it was an actual place. It wasn't just a concept like we think of it. It was the garbage dump for the city of Jerusalem. And the only way they knew of to reduce garbage was to burn it. And so if anybody looked outside of the city at Gehenna, there was always smoke, there was always fire, uh, there was always something being consumed there in that garbage dump. And that's the picture he wants us to see. And furthermore, he wants us to see that the tongue can be used in ways that are literally demonic. In in other words, we can use our tongue in ways that literally accomplish the agenda of hell. That's what he's getting at. Let me give you an example of this. Just one more way the tongue can be so destructive. Listen, it doesn't matter to me what organization you're in. It can be a church. It can be a hospital. It can be a school. It can be a factory. But when we talk about other people... Instead of to them, that is so destructive. That is demonic. Um, so in other words, if one of us hears a rumor and we just take that rumor and we just pass that rumor about someone else along, that is demonic. That's, what he's, that's the point that he's trying to make because that just incinerates, that spreads like wildfire, right? And what's it destroying? Well, it's destroying that person, their reputation. So he's just saying, look, never, ever, ever do that. Look, in every single conversation, there are three agendas. No, there are four agendas, there's your agenda, there's the person you're talking to and their agenda, there's the devil's agenda, and there's God's agenda. And our job as followers of Jesus is to make sure that God's agenda is followed as it comes to our speak. This is why he says the tongue is itself set on fire by hell. He's just saying, look, anything ha hellish that happens on earth starts with the tongue. Every time. It starts with words. It starts with rhetoric. Evil always begins in what people say. So, one man uses rhetoric in the 19, late 1930s and early 1940s that causes people to corral Jewish people into concentration camps and begin to systematically torture, experiment on, and kill those people. Why? Because of the rhetoric of one guy. Because of the power of words. That's what James is trying to make so clear here. Now, when it comes to a fire, there are two ways to deal with a fire, right? One way is to keep it contained, keep it from spreading. 
So in that case, if a fire is contained, that's awesome. If it's in a fireplace, it brings warmth into a room. I mean, you, can, you know, if it's, if it's on a stove, it, it cooks our meals. I mean, when fire is contained, it's a beautiful thing. But when it rages out of control, well, that's a whole nother matter, right? So one way is to keep it contained. I'll get to the other way in just a minute. But here's but here's what James said about trying to contain the tongue. He said, ultimately, that's going to fail you because there's a deeper problem. Now, um, why did he say that? Well, he said that because one day he was listening to his half-brother Jesus teach James was not a follower of Jesus. He didn't become a follower of Jesus until after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And so when James heard this, he didn't believe it. In fact, he was astounded and appalled that his own brother was saying it. And here's what Jesus said. Out of the overflow, he was challenging the religious teachers of the day. And he, say, he tells them, uh, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, you want to know why those bad words came spilling out of you? Because they're in you. You want to know why you say the things and do the things that you do? Because those things are in you. The reason you have a faulty mouth is because you have a bad and a dark heart. And that's what needs to be changed. Kind of a funny story to illustrate this. Ken Davis, love him, he's an older Christian comedian, talks about a guy who goes to a, there's a new bakery right around the corner from his house. He's driving down the road. He sees that this bakery is open for the first time. He's so excited. He says, okay, Lord, uh, if there's a parking space in front of that bakery when I drive by, then I'll know it's your will for me to go in there and order a donut, maybe even two. And sure enough, on the guy's fifth time around the block, there was an opening right there in front of that bakery. Now, I tell you that story because that's your heart. That's my heart. Sometimes we want to be tempted. Sometimes we actually want to sin. Sometimes we actually want to say something bad about someone else because it makes us feel better about ourselves. And that's in there. So how do you contain something that burns and rages within you? How do you do that? James says, well, it's almost impossible because the tongue only reveals what's inside of you. In fact, look what he goes on to explain in the next couple of verses. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. How many of us in the room are afraid of snakes? Yeah, how many of you are afraid of snakes and you don't even care what kind of snake it is? You don't care if it's poisonous, non-poisonous. Yeah, I think the reason most of us in the room have a deep-seated fear of snakes is because we know there are some out there who can bite us and kill us. And that's what James is arguing here. It becomes, it's poison, it's toxic, and it's toxic most of all to relationships, to relationships. 
says the tongue can taint everything. And then look what he says. And then he points out another problem with the tongue, but in doing so, he also brings us to the solution. Look at James 3, verses 9 through 11. He says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. Here's the thought. He's saying, look, every person you demean, every person you talk down to, every person that you talk, speak to in a crude way or an obnoxious way or an uncaring way or an unkind way, every, every time you lock eyes with another human being, that human being has been made in the image of God. And they deserve better than that. They deserve better than those kinds of words because they're created in God's image. And it goes even deeper than that. Not only do they bear God's image, but every one of us in the room, we've all strayed. We've all wandered away from God. And we matter. God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son into the world to forgive us our sin and bring us back into a right relationship with him. And every time I'm willing to curse another human being, I am cursing someone that Jesus died for. I am cursing someone that Jesus loved enough to die for them. And James is going to say in a moment, that shouldn't be. Look what he goes on to say. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? And the answer is meant to be, well, of course not. If you're a fresh water spring, no way salt water's coming out of that. And if you're a fresh water, uh, or if you're a salt water spring, no way that's going to generate fresh water spring. And it's in this analogy that James brings us to the answer. But what he's, he's, he's pointing out the inconsistency of the tongue. How in one moment we can use it to praise God, and we all should. And by the way, whether you realize it or not, every single one of us in the room, we're all worshipers. You may be here this morning, you may be an atheist, you may be an agnostic, you may be uh, you know, a little closer to Jesus in your journey, but you haven't crossed the line of faith yet. Just because you don't worship Jesus doesn't mean you don't worship something. Because every one of us in this room are hardwired to worship. And we will find something to worship in the absence of God. And so he's talking about this inconsistency. And he says, well, it would be impossible for a fresh, for, for a saltwater stream to produce or spring to produce fresh water. And I'll tell you why James said that. Because on another day, he heard his half-brother. And again, he was still not a believer. And this would have been the most appalling thing he'd ever heard Jesus said. Remember, at this point, he thought Jesus was off his rocker. He thought Jesus was crazy. And here's what Jesus said. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And just to make sure we understood exactly what he was talking about, he said this, by this, by this spring, by this living water, by this flowing water, he meant the Holy Spirit of God. See, here's, 
Here's the truth about every one of us in the room. When we say yes to Jesus, the moment that we invite him into our lives, he sends a dignitary, he sends his Holy Spirit. And and remember earlier how I said that there are two ways to, to, to treat a fire. One is to contain it. You know what the other one is? You extinguish it. And a little water goes a long, long way in extinguishing a fire, maybe something like a stream of living water. Friends, this is not a message on positive thinking or positive words. This is a message about every one of our needs in this room to be dependent in a moment-by-moment basis on the Holy Spirit of God. And I am telling you that as you depend on Him, as you draw from Him, as you lean into His resources and not your own, you will find, it won't happen overnight, but you will find that one day your mouth will be different. You will be more encouraging, more loving, more kind, more gracious, more merciful in the things that you say and in the things that you do. But James would say, well, but if you think you can do it on your own, good luck with that. Good luck with that. No, we, every one of us in this room, need a Savior. We need Jesus. We need a heart transformation that only He can bring, that only He can do. See, you extinguish a fire, right? And so He's saying, look, if you've got a spring of living water flowing out of your heart, why would you spew salt water? This should not be, right? Now, uh, on another day, there was another disciple of Jesus that said something so insightful about the tongue, and we're going to land here and just make some applications. And and this is a, a disciple by the name of Paul, and he said it very succinctly. And so we'll just read what he said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. He said, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according, not to your need, you may have a need to say something, you may have a need to be right, but we're not to talk according to our needs, we're to talk according to the needs of others, that it may benefit those who, li- who listens. So here's what Paul is saying. And by the way, this is not optional. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is a commandment. And it's a commandment associated with Jesus' overarching command for us to love one another as he has loved us. And so one way you can know you're loving someone well is if you're speaking love to them, if you're speaking kindness to them, if you're speaking grace over them and mercy over them. That's how you can know you're loving well. And so in essence, Paul is saying, look, when you speak words, those words aren't meant for you. They're meant for others. They're meant to benefit those that would listen according to their needs. How do you know what their needs are? You do what James says. What's that? You listen. You're quick to listen and you're slow to speak. That's how you find out what is going to benefit them and what their needs really 
are. This is an incredible thing. I mean, listen, if we would just get this one teaching right, it would revolutionize your life. It would revolutionize this church. It would revolutionize this city. It would be turned upside down over the gospel. Listen, in every conversation, did I already say this? Did I already talk about the agendas in a conversation? There's four agendas that I already, okay, good, I already did that. So I won't repeat myself, right? But in other words, we want to be the kind of people that further God's agenda in a conversation, not just ours. See, listen, let's be honest, let's be real. This is what James is getting at. Often when we speak to others, we speak because of how it makes us feel. Or we speak because of how it makes us look. Or we speak because, well, I'm the one in the room that's right. See? And, J- and Paul says, look, you've got it exactly backwards. No, 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 no. Your words aren't for you. They're for the benefit of who's listening to you. This is just so incredible. So, so just a couple of practical things. How many of you are familiar with portion control when it comes to food? I'm not asking you if you do it. I'm just asking you if you know about it. All right. So the latest studies, this is hard to believe, but this is what they're coming out with. The latest studies indicate that for every negative, every critique that you give somebody, in order to have equal weight on the positive side, you need to say 10 positive things to equal one criticism, one critique, one negative so just ask yourself, am I practicing portion control? Am I, am I pouring on the positive so that when I have to speak a negative, it doesn't hurt so bad? It's in context. Like Everything is context, friends. And if, if the only thing a person hears is critique after critique after critique, they're not going to want to be in relationship with you. Because they're just going to feel judged. They're just going to feel uh, less than. Like they'll, they'll never measure up, no matter how hard they work or how hard they try, right? So practice portion control when it comes to your speak ba- speech. Balance out the positive to the negative. And then here's the second one. Um, and then I'm going to pray for us. I want, you, I want all of us to, to begin to ask ourselves a question anytime we're with a group or another person. You ready? Here's the question I want us to get in the habit of asking. It's easy, it's simple. Who needs encouragement? Who needs encouragement? So we're in a big room, right? You're looking around. Who needs encouragement? Well, then go and give that person encouragement. Listen, if you started asking this question in every scenario, if you started asking this question when you were at work, if you started asking this question when you were at home, if you started asking this question when you were in class, if you started asking this question out on the football field, who needs encouragement? Who needs encouragement? That'll begin to change the course of your life. That's what James is arguing here. Now, listen, just a a quick caution, because there are some of us in the room, and here's what, here's what we want to do. We want to push back at me a little bit, and we want to say something like this. Well, you know, I'm just being honest. 
So Paul says, speak the truth in love. Honesty is not an excuse for you to speak carelessly into someone else's life. Honesty is not an excuse for you to speak harshly into someone else's life. The command to not let any unwholesome speech come out of your mouth is not optional if you or I are a follower of Jesus. It's not a suggestion. It is a way of living out Jesus' overarching command to love one another. So let me ask you again, who in your life needs encouragement? Go there. Go there. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have streams of living water. You don't have to speak Look, here's another, I'll, give, I'll throw this one in for free. Just because you think something doesn't mean you should say it. You know what? That's so valuable. We're going we're gonna to repeat that in the room. First grade. Okay, here we go. You ready? Just because I think something doesn't mean I need to say it. Amen. Sermon's done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks, we give you praise, because you did what none of us could have done on our own. You gave us supernatural power to extinguish the fire of our tongue. And you did that by placing streams of living water within us. God, we thank you that every good thing we experience comes via the Holy Spirit, and so uh, we ask you uh, to help us to be better recipients of him, better homes for him, and more responsive to him. And it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. One last thing, and I can do this because we still have one minute left together. So another practical is this. Listen, anytime the Holy Spirit, and if you have the Holy Spirit, you will, this will happen. It should happen at least every day. At some point, you're going to get prompted to do something, prompted to say something. In other words, you're going to feel like the Holy Spirit is moving you into a situation. When that happens, always say yes to that. Always say yes to that. Just after the first service, I had a woman pull me aside, and she said, do you remember years and years ago when you followed a prompting of the Spirit and you shared Christ with me? She said, that moment changed my life forever. So, so amen that, amen that, right? So, and, and here's the secondary reason why it's so important to follow through on those promptings. Because if you follow through on those kinds of promptings, you will change quicker, you will change more quickly than someone else who just refuses to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You will get a handle on your speech in months, not years, right? Just because you're responsive to the Holy Spirit. So, hey, God bless you guys. Go and do what the Holy Spirit asks you to do. Thanks for worshiping with us today.